Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I am your co-host, Nadia Butt. I'm an organizational development and belonging strategist. And as always, every week, joining me is co-host Rob Hadley, a people and culture strategist specializing in DE&I and people analytics. Hello, Rob. Hey, Nadia. What is happening? Well, you know. So great to see you. So always so good to see you. Always the best parts of my week is to see you. But I do have a question for you. Yeah. What's Does up? it phase you at all that Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are making headline news this week? Wow. I, wow. I did not see that coming. I'm a Swifty, so I got to bring it up. <laughs> and you love sports. So, you know, our worlds are colliding right here. This Rob. is, you know, I can tell you how big this story is that my parents were asking me about it. My dad actually texted me about the language. He was looking, reading this interview from Micah Parsons, who's a linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys, talking about how Kelsey had shot his shot and, oh, okay. and going on and on about it. And my dad was like, what is happening right now? What is going on in the yeah. universe? And I was like, I had to ex- explain to him what happened with, with Kelsey and, uh, and Taylor. Schoen, and Taylor so. and the dating. Yeah. You know what's really interesting, though? Like, this has to do a little bit with DEI because apparently Kelsey... So Travis Kelsey, for those folks, is a football player, I believe, on the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes. Okay, yes. which we gotta, got to let's rename that team there. But anyways, <laughs> apparently has been doing Bud Light commercials. And of course, the Bud Light boycott movement is basically going after Swift and Kelsey. So it's it's a wild and interesting um, news headline that oh, caught great. my Definitely eye. Definitely go after the most powerful person in the world and Taylor Swift. Definitely. Yeah. Like, Definitely. Don't mess with the Swifties. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, exactly. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Good luck with that. Great stuff with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. This week, Nadia on Inclusive Collective, we'll be talking to wellness expert and author Rakima Glimp. We'll also discuss Latino economic power and repugnant market concerns in the talent acquisition markets. Later, we'll be ranting about U.S. Senator Tommy Tuberville and raving about our girl, um, I guess I should say woman, Beyonce. Beyonce. Yes. Sure. And uh, before we move on to the deets, Rob, I was hoping I could get two minutes of your time, particularly on measurement. So the question I have for you for coaching advice is how do you think about measuring inclusion? So first, there's this misconception, I think, that it's difficult to measure inclusion, right? But it really can be measured effectively. And it starts by having a model of inclusion and 
I always say that I'm model agnostic. I don't care what model you pick, pick one. And then breaking down that model into its component parts and then measuring the parts of the model through the use of both sentiment and operational data, right? So it's much more common and you're probably more familiar with it as well for organizations to focus on the sentiment measures. So how employees feel on inclusion um, than on the operational measures. But I always encourage everyone that I'm working with to do both, right? So sentiment will tell you how people feel about how included they are in a particular environment. And it will tell you what people think is happening, but the operational measures, they're going to tell you what's actually happening. Okay. What's actually going on. And they work together beautifully. Like you really can use them both together as uh, sentiment measures will often be a leading indicator for operational measures. So for example, Nadia, if you use a Gartner model, you may be familiar with this model for inclusion. They have an element in that of fairness. So there are validated survey questions that we can use to assess fairness in an organization. But at the same time, there's a number of operational measures that people don't look at as much for fairness, such as pay equity, promotion rates. And those things are correlated to your survey question, right? The results that you're getting on the survey. So it would be silly not to look at them together to, to really get a sense of what's happening in terms of inclusion in an organization. Does that help? It totally does. That's great. Thanks for that, Rob. Uh, okay, let's get to the deets. Awesome. All right. So first deet, Nadia, it's Hispanic Latina Heritage Month, Hispanic Latino, if you prefer, Heritage Month. So I wanted to highlight this story. The U.S. Latino economy grew to $3.2 trillion, trillion in 2021. That's up from $2.8 trillion the year before. That's a huge number in terms of growth. I think there's probably some pandemic-related impact in terms yeah. of with the growth, right? So going 2020 to 2021, but, but a huge number. So if the U.S. Latinos were a country, then their GDP would rank fifth in the world. And wow. the U.S. Latino economy grew two and a half times faster than the non-Latino economy in this country, driving growth in California, Texas, and Florida, obviously, but also in places like South Dakota, North Dakota, and New Hampshire. Nadia, are you in U.S. Latino oh. economy? I'm like 150% in. Yeah, like, thanks for calling attention to this, the you know, of course, the U.S. Latino population, like you said, is growing and they are part of the seams of the U.S. economy. And I think being strategic on how we consider encouraging, continuing to encourage the economic growth of this community, I think includes acknowledging like what they the, the current strengths that it holds, like the industries. I think the article you sent to me, like the industries where they really have strengths in are food services, construction, administrative support, waste management, transportation. And I think we need to also consider their contributions in areas like entrepreneurship, venture capital, the arts, TV, film, creatives, right? So representation matters in the U.S. Latino community is an, an influential market and one that we can all learn from. So, yeah, I'm all. Well, I think about our friend Marcus Gonzalez, right? Yes. And Ramos Ventures and his investment in founders of color and diverse backgrounds, but mostly in, the, in Latino founders and the folks that over at. Mendoza Ventures as well, who yep. are, are Latino-run venture capitalists. So um, I wanted to bring this up, Nadia, because I, you know, whenever I'm in Kansas or Texas or Wyoming, mm -hmm. the places that you probably places don't hang out very you often. You often visit. <laughs> you probably don't go to these places very often. Not very often. Um, <laughs> but if you go through these small towns and they're slowing down, the population is older, oftentimes non-working at this point, their kids are leaving smaller towns. I'm always fascinated they don't look to immigration and specifically 
you know, immigration from Latin America as a way to grow and jumpstart sure. their, their own economy. So um, I think a couple of family reunions ago, I was telling my family members from Kansas that towns like theirs should have representatives at the border with big signs, like, and they should like be taking trucks and like <laughs> filling them up and bringing hardworking folks to their town, like younger people, hardworking folks. You know, some of the, they, I didn't get a great reaction. From, yeah, I was like, <laughs> sure, you would have gotten, I was like, what was the reaction they, to that? Comment? It was, it wasn't great. They weren't excited about my plan, but some places have done this effectively, like Dodge City, Kansas, obviously, and based on the numbers and some of the things that I saw in this story, places like uh, the, the Dakotas, where they probably are, are bringing workers in to work in the energy economy there. And something has happened in New Hampshire, obviously. They're getting a huge boost from Latino Something's always happening. Growth. Something's always brewing in New Hampshire, okay? Live they're, free or die. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Maybe people are attracted to the ethos yeah. of New Hampshire, right? For sure. Sure. All right. Well, that's great. Thank you for uh, providing that information. I'll go on to my deed here. So, Rob, I sent you this article that was in the Harvard Business Review titled Unpacking That Icky Feeling of Shopping for Diverse Job Candidates. So the overview of the article was basically on the research that was conducted by Professor Summer Jackson, showing that companies are recruiting for a wider variety of lived experiences to their workplace, right? And then it further went on to describe how like the hiring managers' fears of seeming transactional can ultimately undermine their diversity goals. And so I, you know, I think we see it, for example, according to a Bloomberg article titled, Corporate America Promised to Hire a Lot More People of Color the Year After the BLM Protests. Um, so, for example, the S&P 100 added more than 300,000 jobs and 94 percent of them went to people of color. Mm -hmm. So I think it suffice to say that there was like a general consensus that building more diverse teams was necessary. But how we go about it may show up as problematic, right? Because if we're hiring for certain diversity goals and how are we looking at the candidates? And so companies were recruiting to meet, you know, these diversity, equity, inclusion goals that they put in place. And the article, Dr. Jackson's research, was in quote unquote, uncomfortable feeling that can creep into the recruiting process. It further went on to say that among well-intentioned white advocates, there can be a sense that HR is, quote, shopping for people from historically marginalized groups, even when the real goal is to create a more diverse environment. Also, Professor Jackson's research gives a name to this feeling, calling it a repugnant market concern where she describes the process feel the process can feel like it's objectifying or exploiting the people who are involved, right? It could lead to concerns that people might think um, you're not going, you know, at it for the right reasons. Um, and there's like this aspect of quick hiring to reach goals mm -hmm. and it's done in like a really transactional nature. Mm -hmm. Your reactions, if any. Well, I mean, I was I was interested to see where there, there's a lot in there. And there's the a lot that you said. There's a lot going on. There's even like this undercover aspect, right? Where the 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 writer is with a company and they're making decisions and and really learning what's happening in terms of the decisions that they're making. So, company wants to diversify. They end up over indexing on hiring younger professionals, and this is absolutely what we've seen. Yeah, I, I guess I shouldn't speak with you that, that I've seen, right? So mm -hmm. it's a much easier to build up a diverse team or build up your organization with younger professionals, right? To hire senior level people, you need to go outside your network, which yeah. is uncomfortable. And these are the folks that are going to be working directly with you if you are the leadership of the company, right? right. So 
So it's it's much easier to say let's let's bring in younger folks. Uh, there are a lot of programs that exist to help companies bring in entry level folks, and yeah. so um, and I also looked at that that Bloomberg equality study as well okay, in, yeah. in relation to this article, which is sure. really interesting. And so you know, was that you know, a surprise that I brought with, it up? And it fits with, yeah. but it really fits with what we've seen with you know what I'm talking about, right? So after 2020. There indeed were a high percentage of people of color hired into these roles in in the companies that they were studying, but at an entry level and in early career roles. Right. And so we don't know if they're still there, what their advancement rates were, mm-hmm. and we don't know how older or, or more senior <laughs> more senior professionals of color have fared over that same period of time. So a lot in there, very impressive article, and I look forward to seeing more of the the data and research that comes from it. Yeah. And just to add on top, because this this the two articles that um, I'm referencing, it reminded me of the conversation we had a few weeks ago with Mitha Malik, who talks about this in her book in the sense of like language really matters. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like and practices matter, too. Right. So like HR hiring managers, the recruitment process, like oftentimes we use language in this process where we like need to hire and I'm putting in quotes, hire a diverse diversity hire. Instead of adding, you know, instead of like thinking of it from the lens of like, how do I source from a, a diverse candidate pool to really bring and create a more diverse team, right? We are like individualizing diversity. And that like that to me can breed resentment that can make people feel excluded, that can make people feel transactional, this notion that Professor Jackson is really describing. So the study was really interesting. Like you said, if people want to read it, go ahead to the HBR article or the actual study um, itself. But I think this is a conversation we'll probably be having in the next few months to a year because I do think there's a little bit of harm that we're not acknowledging in the recruitment process when it comes to the diversity goals. Um, so, you know, more more to come, I'm sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, Definitely. Love that article. Thanks for sending that over to me as well. All right, that's it for the deets. We're going to be taking a short break and we'll be right back with founder, author, and CEO, Akima Glip. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Welcome back, folks. This week on Inclusive Collective Podcast, we welcome founder and CEO of BeWell365, Rakima Glimp. BeWell365 is a wellness brand that provides resources and creates spaces for deep reflection and autonomy to drive sustainable and impactful wellness outcomes. Rakima's consulting services at Glimp Consulting focuses on business infrastructure development, mentoring, and individual wellness. She is a writer, mentor, advocate for equal rights and opportunity. She previously served as Chief of People and State Operations for Bernie 2020 and Global (laughs) Director of People Operations for Damagi. She has a passion for improving the lives of those around her, and we are fortunate to have her joining us this week. Rakima Glimpf, thanks for being with us this week on Inclusive Collective. Thank you for having me. Super excited to spend some time and get a chance to get to know you all and talk a little bit. 
Rakim, it's great to have you. Pleasure to meet you. The first question, I want to talk about the book a little bit. So you wrote the book. It's called, I don't know. It's called Total Wellness, A Millennial and Gen Z Guide to Living a More Balanced Life. What are some of the challenges to those generations specifically that require a wellness approach? First of all, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Like I said, you know, one of the things that has come through and the work that I've done over the last 15 years is just that for the first time ever, this is really a generation that's got a lot of stuff being thrown at them, mm. a pandemic mass shootings, uprising, social injustices all over the world. I mean, you name it. And to add insult to injury, we're all also having kids at the same time. Life is lightning, right? Uh, and one of the things that I've seen in the work that I do, because oftentimes I'm consulting with different organizations to support their staff, is, you know, millennials, they are struggling with balance. They are mm. struggling to sort of continue to keep going with the same level of rigor and energy that they had, you know, pre-pandemic for yeah. example, right? And so uh, the more I was clinching, the more I was like, listen, this is not a work issue. These guys, you know, some people are occupationally unwell, but this is actually more about like what we talk about when we talk about comprehensive wellness. Mm -hmm. Are you environmentally well? Well, how can you be? There's so much going on around you. And if you're in social justice work or, you know, if your population is impacted by some of the things going on or all the things, rather, right? Um, that's going to impact your environment. That's not just about your home. It's also about when you walk through the streets and, you know, how you sort of exist in the world. Um, you know, financial wellness came up for many, many, many of us because mm -hmm. all of a sudden the pandemic meant we were taking care of extended relatives, right? People were losing jobs. Kids were home, right? And so that started to shift things. Also, our social networks broke down, mm -hmm. right? Many, many of us who are used to those hugs, who took for granted those those dinners and those happy hours, many of us strangled. And a lot of people were were reaching for me, mm -hmm. right? That's where, you know, you see a lot of questioning that's happening with the churches and stuff like that. Folks are like, what is happening? So the book was written because I was like, guys, we can't look to employers to fix this. Mm. We have to be the change that we need to see in our lives. The employer is only a smash smidgen part of that. They're going to pay us. They're going to give us the benefits, right? But like, are they responsible for... Our kids not being okay? Are they responsible for us being up late at night, going down rabbit holes and being stressed out about the world around us? Or, you know, are they going to help us with that mild depression that showed up and slipped in on us out of nowhere? Right. So that book was meant to like be something that both said, hey, wake up. We do have things to pay attention to. And in case you don't know where to start, here are a few ideas to try and help you get going as you start your journey. So as you know, there have been an increased kind of focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in organizations over the last few years. And Rob and I talk a lot around diversity, equity, inclusion um, in the business world. And of course, we're observing like a lack of execution or effectiveness. Um, and that's an impact on everyone, right? From not even just employees, but like consumers, community. That's but right. You coach many of the folks and say that, not exclusively, but you you coach many of the folks in that middle management. And, you know, there's an impact on that middle manager kind of level as it relates to operationalizing diversity, equity, inclusion in the business world. What are some of the other impacts that you're observing as you coach some of these folks? I mean, I think many managers are losing steam around it, quite frankly, because they're saying, hey, look, we're being told to diversify, but we're not changing how we're operating. Right. Or we're saying in practice, we believe in DEI, 
but we're not living out that practice. I think that's one of my biggest frustrations. And it's partly why I decided not to go work internally for organizations. Mm. Because I said, listen, I get up every day giving you all I got. But when you tell me you believe in a thing and I don't see you living that out, mm. I've got questions about if this is really what I want to be doing, right? Like, are you performative or are you in practice? Are you in rigor, right? Like, are you disciplined enough? And so a lot of the middle managers are struggling because they say, listen, we bring in all this diversity. We don't know how to, we don't know how to retain it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We absolutely sure. don't because in practice, it sounds good, but in actuality, we're not operationalizing, that, right? Like we are not putting safe measures in place to make it so that people feel like this is a home for them also, right? We're going to give you an onboard, but we're also not going to change some of the policies that directly impact folks who may be coming in with different levels of diversity, disabilities, right? Like so many in this generation are all being diagnosed with all of these different, you know, ADHD, rampant, right? Depression, rampant, right? Like functional autism has also become a conversation, right? Yet organizations are still saying, let's turn and burn, yeah. get it done. Stay on those deadlines, <laughs> right? Like get it done. Yeah, we'll, yeah. yeah, right. We'll accommodate you, right? Like we'll give you all extra week. But outside of that, you're not going to get anything else. Not really, right? And we'll get you a coach, but we'll get you a coach that doesn't fully understand what you're going through, which means that they can't possibly give you solutions right. that are, you know, that, that, that are meant for you specifically given your set of issues, right? Or challenges. So I think we see a lot of that kind of behavioral stuff going on. I think the biggest thing is that leadership is also in crisis because they want to believe in it. They want to do the thing, right? And even they don't have the skills to really actualize it because it's almost like the blind having led the blind. We're all coming from the same people who trained us all how to behave in the same ways, with the same values, mm-hmm. but the same ways of, of operating. And that unlearning and that sort of acknowledgement that like, we don't have it figured out or reaching for people who may know a little bit differently or better or more specifically people who are impacted, right? Mm -hmm. We're not Mm -hmm. even listening to people who are impacted. The last thing I'll say is that we have had an influx of consultants who have all said that they are DEI practitioners Mm -hmm. and that they've got it figured out. And then they walk into the organizations and they're essentially imploding these organizations because they're ripping off band-aids, opening up wounds and can't close them. Yeah. Right. And so now you got all this primary, trauma. secondary, tertiary trauma happening. Right. Right. Yeah. And now everybody's like, the organization did it. You did it. And the org is like, wait, what? We don't even know what this really looks like. What it's supposed to look like. So it's, it, there's a lot of irresponsible behavior because I don't think people fully understood what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. And I think that because it's such a new practice, there's just going to be a lot of stuff both that we're learning and a lot of people who are going to end up being hit because of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I started laughing, but I was part laughing, part crying. I was thinking about the courageous conversation movement, like under the auspices of untrained facilitators and all the damage that that has done. So you talked about the pandemic. And so I want to go about the pandemic and I I think it's over. I I don't know anymore. I don't know where where we're at, but um, has anything gotten better? I was just looking at the LinkedIn top startups and they were all there. Almost all of them are mental health startups right like yeah. the, there's there's huge investment yeah. in mental health Is anything getting better either anecdotally in your world and you being out there and working with companies and organizations and people uh or any data that you've seen what what, what is your yeah. take on this yeah i think people are getting to a place where they're standing up and saying i'm choosing me mm-hmm. 
And as a result, you see people who are leaving these organizations in droves, right? And you see people who are unionizing on a fly, mm-hmm. right? And you see the more youthful population. I don't call them youthful because I'm feeling ancient today. Yeah. The next grouping that are coming into the workplace, you see them saying, I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Leader. I want a seat at the table or else I'm out of here. And so there is a lot of self-empowerment that's present, Mm -hmm. right? Like there is a lot of of gloom happening. A lot of people are trying to really dig themselves out of what feels like a perpetual lack of joy, right? Because it feels like there's always something. And depending on how much of news you're watching, depending on what's happening in your organization, the world could feel real heavy today, right? But then I see this glimmer of hope because I see people saying, hey, I'm going to start my own business then. Yeah. Hey, you don't want to listen to me internally? Fine. I'm not going to cry about that anymore. That won't be a crisis moving forward. And I think that's for several reasons. One, because I think people are just kind of sick and tired of being tired. Um, two, I think the pandemic did something very different to our memory. Mm-hmm. Many people say, I watched people die. I watched people not come back. I watched people change. Specifically, our, our friends with long COVID. People's lives changed, Right. The school systems changed. Everything changed about how things were working. And so you have a lot of people who say, I don't know if tomorrow's promise. So I'm living today. Mm-hmm. And so now you're starting to see people spend. You're starting to see people travel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that, like, for whatever it's worth, the pandemic's still here because the numbers are increasing again, right? We know that part. But I think that people have gotten to a place where they have been so petrified of not making it that they are like, now, Make it or not, today is going to be a good day. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever I want to be doing today because tomorrow's not promised. And that feels like a positive shift. And from my perspective, because mm-hmm. I'm saying part of people's unwellness is that they feel like they don't have agency, mm. right? Or there's something around that agency part. In this instance, I'm saying people are taking back agency saying, no, no, no. Even if I have to go and work my butt off to make ends meet, I'm going to go do that because that's better than living a lie or being in an organization that doesn't appreciate me. And that feels good. Rikima, you, um, so you talked about travel just now, and um, (laughs) that's one of my favorite topics. It's what I do to experience joy. And in some ways, I think it's a way that I mitigate my own burnout. And so you, you offer wellness retreats. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about like, who are they designed for? What could people expect? Like, what are those wellness retreats really all about? They are designed for folks who are ready to go on a journey. More recently, I have said they are designed for anybody who's looking to do something different than what they did yesterday. Mm -hmm. Because there's so many people that don't realize that they need to be on a journey. I talk to people all the time who are like, I don't know. I just feel blah. That's the word, blah. Yeah. Right. And so the idea is like, well, blah, blah, it represents overwhelm in my line of work. Right. Like, I know you're overwhelmed. That's what that tells me. <laughs> yeah. Right. And right. so is it about the environment? Is it about what's happening in the home? Like, what is it? A lot of people will come hang out also because they're like, we like how you travel. Because I'm going to go to Turks and Caicos and turn out. That's what I'm going right. to do. Right. <laughs> and we're going to learn about some wellness stuff. We're, I'm right. going to take you through it all. Right. We're going to cry together. Also. Can Rob and I sign up for this? <laughs> I'm telling you. Yes. I'm signing up right now. Yeah. Right. I mean, we always have, you know, dedicated chefs that are going to cook you wholesome food for your body. But if you want trash, I'm going to get in the car and go get that for you. 
Why? Because wellness is different for us all, right? And today I probably want some popcorn, but tomorrow I may want a snicker. That's okay, right? right? We're going to, you know, we take them through different sessions. So on the one hand, we're training everybody to sort of really think about wellness as multi-pronged. A lot of people are like, when I eat well, I work mm-hmm. out. And I'm like, dude, that's not it. Mm. That, but that's like two pieces. Yeah. How's your spirit? How's your heart? How's your mind? How's your job? How's your money? How's your family? Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And so, um, so we take them through, right, we take them through an, an educational experience. And we also do personality profiling. A lot of people who know me know I read people for a living. I walk into a room and I'm like, yeah, let's talk later. <laughs> yeah. Right. A lot of people haven't spent time to get to know themselves, which means that when they get blue, they don't know to use words like blue because maybe it's about how they've been functioning all along or something. Mm -hmm. So the idea is like to take them through a process where it's like, what are some of the communication styles that really drive you nuts? What kind of management stuff drives you nuts? How are you showing up in the world? Because I do believe that like a lot of what we go through also has to do with both our minds and how we're showing up. Right. Things can be a big deal if we want them to be a big deal, but they don't necessarily have to be. Right. I talk myself off ledges all the time. I'm like, girlfriend, it's okay. (laughs) It really is. Right. Like you're upset, but why are you upset? You're upset because you had no agency to control what just happened. That's control thing. Go do your work. Right. Can't be in control. So we do that and then we take them through a ton of fun. So you guys want to go out on the boat? Let's do that. You want to have a dance party on a yacht? We can do that too. Want to go fishing? Let's do that, right? And then by the time we're done having the fun, we're still doing one-to-one coaching. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of intimate coaching too because, believe it or not, by the time people start journaling and they are in their own spaces with none of the noise, no kids, no barking dog, no spouses, no work, all of a sudden people are left with themselves. Mm -hmm. And then all the questions really start to unravel, right? And so... We have a journal, we take them through a journal, and it is some thought-provoking stuff that really leaves people, I think, feeling away. And then as we sort of go through that conversation, we've got to repair the thing, put things back together. Because the idea is to open it up, to have a dialogue, to create a roadmap, mm-hmm. but to make sure that you don't leave without feeling empowered, like you have a plan for how you're going to get things on track. Mm-hmm. So. That Akima's, yeah, that's that's great. Sorry, I blacked out for a minute uh, thinking about myself thinking, and Turks and Caicos. He was thinking about the, the boat. There was all these great <laughs> activities, and I was just kind of thinking, imagining myself enjoying them. But so, so let's say I can't go to uh, one of these retreats, and so if October start to get toward October, yeah. I start to get super anxious about the end of the year, right? Like I feel like the end of the year yep. starts like October first. It's like boom, it's the end of the year, and I get super anxious about the end of the year. So coach me a little bit. Give me some tips to, to help me through that that normal anxiety I think that most people feel toward the end of the year. Yeah, me too, by the way. Everybody yeah. will tell you, I started going to hyperdrive at the end of the year. Q4 <laughs> shows up and I'm like, get it down, everything. Yeah. Um, I will tell you what I tell myself. I have to sit down and throw things at the wall. I have to write things down. Rakima, what what's everything that's on your mind right now that you've got to get done that you want to get done? And then I have to rate them, literally. What is a top priority for me? What do I care most about? If mm-hmm. I don't get this done, am I going to be sad at the end of the year? By the time I do that, I also go into vision moding zone where I'm like, right, here are my top five. Because mm-hmm. Rakina, you can't be everything to everybody all the time. Five. Let's pick five. If you do more than that, good for you. Right? And then I do some vision boarding because I need to roadmap. How am I going to get there? I've been in a process myself right now where I'm like, is it realistic? 
And where are the pressures coming from? Are you putting pressure? Does your spouse need this thing? And so there's pressure. Does your kid need this thing? So I'm also trying to assess where the pressure points are coming from. Because if I'm the one who's being over here cuckoo for cuckoo pups, I need to stay in my lane and chill it out, right? Like I'm telling myself, not that big of a deal. I, I know what you're doing, but relax. Yep. The other thing is, is that sometimes, like even right now, I have literally sort of basically written my list, taken things off that I'm like, I can get to that next year and I'm not going to be homeless. I'm not going to have let people down. You know, this is so, there's not major consequences attached to if I don't get it done. Mm -hmm. It's just my ego a little bit, mm -hmm. right? And then I'm picking the top two or three and I'm saying, listen, you got three months to make it happen. So if you really feel that passionate, get your roadmaps together and go get a team and get it done. Um, that's what I would say to you. I would also say, take a deep breath. Make sure you get some rest. Mm -hmm. Make sure you place where all the pressure's coming from to make sure that it's, you know, that it, it makes sense for you. Um, and then I would remind you that we are only one person. We can only do what we can do. And because you don't get it all done does not make you a failure. Yeah. We get to try again next year, too. <laughs> awesome. I feel like I just had a therapy session. No, I feel better. Um, this is great. I love it. Like, I really so helpful. And I, I so appreciate kind of that that insight. Rakima, we always ask folks for a resource or a tool. I mean, of course, you just offered some. Is there an additional resource that you want to offer to our listeners regarding a best practice or anything related to DEI? I'd say, listen, if you're going to do it, you need to make sure that you've done the research and that you have groups of people that actually have hard skills to get this done. I think the one thing that I would say to folks who are in leadership who are proposing this. They just need to know what they're getting into because ripping out band aids and traumatizing everybody when you don't know how you're going to contain that container is actually quite reckless and it's more harmful than not doing the work itself. Well, Rakima Glump, thanks so much for joining us on Inclusive Collective this week. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with our con reflections and raves and rants. Welcome back to Inclusive Collective. We just finished chatting with Rakeem and Glenn of Be Well 365. Nadia, mm. great time. Did you learn something? Did you, are you feeling better? Uh, yeah, honestly, yes. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think Rakeem, what she did was like reinforce the things that I feel like I personally learned throughout the pandemic. Like this aspect, so many things were happening in the year of 2020 from like, just our environments were shifting. The workplace was shifting. Socially, things were shifting. So I love her emphasis on like journaling, for example, like mm. a tool that you can leverage to kind of help make meaning of how your feelings or make meaning of your environment. I do that right now. Like that's a technique that we use after interviewing when you're conducting research mm -hmm. as a way to help you make meaning of the conversation that you had. So I, I love that tool. I hope other folks, if you don't, use it or don't see it as valuable, consider it or reconsider it because it really is a helpful tool to um, put your thoughts down on paper and make it a consistent habit. And um, for many folks, it's therapeutic. So yeah, what sure. were your takeaways? No, I appreciated her take on thinking about middle managers and how hard it is for middle managers and organizations to implement DEI. And it really took me back to some of the commitments that leaders made in 20, 2021. And it seems, at least anecdotally, a lot of times the leaders 
moved on to other things, but then they left their middle managers to try to implement the strategies that they came up with. And so I think that there is definitely a disconnect there. And so I think about the middle management at its core, at its baseline is difficult and you're pulled in a lot of different directions. And so DEI was definitely something that I think, and the way that she laid it out was kind of spot on, at least in my experience there. Yeah, totally. So let's, uh, let's, let's rant and rave. Let's do it. You're first, huh? Oh, am I first? Ranting today? Oh, ranting. Oh yeah. Cause we're going to end on a positive note. All right. So I have to admit, Nadia, so it's, you know, end of September, over the summer, I don't pay a ton of attention to stupid things that U.S. senators say. Oh, boy. Um, you know, you I don't? No, no. I prefer to drink G&Ts and tend to my garden, as you know. But now that we're back in full swing, I did want to take the opportunity to highlight something particularly head-scratchingly, posturously idiotic that okay. Tommy Tuberville said oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, this week. I don't know if you caught this, but he said that the military is not an equal opportunity employer. He actually said that, you know, he was asked why he voted against confirming Charles Q. Brown. So we've, we've talked about Charles Q. Brown being nominated to be the first black chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And Tuberville said that he heard some things that Brown talked about, like race, that he wanted to mix into the military. And apparently that was enough for him to, to, to vote that against That set him, him. off? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He wants to mix race into the military. <laughs> So, oh, Tommy. Uh, so Tubes, as they call him in the Senate locker room, has a history, as you know, of openly racist remarks. Earlier this year, he said that white nationalists weren't necessarily racist. He has only been in the Senate, sadly, for two years. Mm. So we can look forward to another several years of overtly racist comments for him. So uh, good luck to us all. On good that. luck to us all. And uh, let's reelect somebody else <laughs> or elect somebody else. Anyone else. Any, anyone else. Anyone else. Yeah. Well, let's move on to, let's end on a happier note. So a concert that I regret not going to this past summer was the Beyonce concert. Like, Mm. I don't know if you heard about it, but like, I heard great things. And on top of it being like a wonderful show, Beyonce herself got word that a mega fan who waited 25 years to watch her perform live couldn't make it to her concert because he was denied access to his flight this month when the airlines couldn't accommodate his wheelchair because it was reportedly too tall. So the Beehive, mm-hmm. who are, you know, Beyonce's yeah. fans, oh, I know. got together, you know, got together, tagged Beyonce so she would take notice. And then once she found out, flew the fan out to the concert. Super happy ending. And yeah, the fan enjoyed himself thoroughly at the concert. Amazing. I would expect nothing less. This Class is big, act. Right? Yeah. Come on. Total. Well, folks, that's it for Inclusive Collective this week. Just a reminder that if you're looking for diversity, equity, and inclusion and workplace culture strategy, consulting, problem solving, or training, you can reach me at Nadia at NazConsultants.com and Rob at Rob at TacanoConsulting.com. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refilion Media and edited by Ari Mathay. We would love to hear from you, so send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refilion.com. You can find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn so you can subscribe to our Inclusive Collective monthly newsletter. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and rate. We like five stars. Us wherever you get your podcasts today. Thank you again to our guest, Rakima Glimp. We will be back next week. Be well. Oh,
to the left. That's my favorite Beyonce song. That one. <laughs> that's a great song. That's my favorite. Everything you want. <laughs>